but keeping your mindset and like a really good set of uh, like really good parking lot list of all the things that we believe we can come back to later um, that we're learning through that friction that is ultimately going to be uh, so valuable for us later on. We start thinking about how do we build a deeper, stickier marketplace that really drives value for both sides. Jessica Mino is the founder and CEO of Idillo, a marketplace to connect homeowners with high quality home service providers without the influence of advertising dollars. With a passion for human systems and creating economies throughout the world, Jessica is uniquely positioned for building a revolutionary marketplace. Coming up, you'll hear about Jessica's worldwide journey to entrepreneurship, what you need to claim before you see success in business, how Jessica got her idea for Idillo, and finally, why Jessica chose to launch her business in Birmingham, Alabama, and why you may want to as well. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Jess, I am so excited to sit down with you and hear all about your entrepreneurista journey and story and the path that it has been to start Idillo. Before we get into all of that, did you always know growing up that you wanted to start your own business one day? Well, yeah, first of all, it's great to be here. Really excited to talk to you today and, and get to be part of this. I think some people have stories where they're like, you know, at five years old, I knew that I was already starting companies. Um, my journey is a little different. I always knew two things. I think one, that I was a builder. And that I think became clearer as I got farther along in my career. I spent a period in consulting. We can maybe come back to that at some point, but found myself in consulting, doing well there, advising, but really missing the act of standing things up from scratch. Um, and that creative process that is both about strategy and analysis, but it's also about like production and organizing people and, you know, getting to see this finished project of something that you put into the world. So I knew I loved building. I knew I was a strong leader. And those two things together, I think at some point, after having spent some time in consulting, gave me enough gumption to just decide that I wanted to go start my own thing. I've been very lucky to have some entrepreneurs around me that helped me see what that pathway looked like. So I jumped in, not necessarily having labeled myself as like obviously an entrepreneur, but somebody who had a lot of the qualities and was drawn to that act. And it wasn't until I was really in it that I remember having this moment of like pausing and saying, I could never go back. Like, this is obviously where I'm supposed to be. So yeah, it was a little bit of a, a process of discovery, but having some like inklings early on that, that that's where I wanted my crew to go. How many years were you working in the corporate world before you started this business? And is Idealo the first business that you started? It's actually, so it's the second. Um, okay. I started a strategy and design firm called Waystone before this. So yeah, I, you know, so I have a little bit of a windy journey. Um, so I went into the work world coming out of college, um, assuming that I was going to like run the UN someday. I did a degree in international relations, um, was really interested in conflict resolution. I was growing up and going to school at the time of like 9-11, was very interested in the Middle East. You know, why does our world work this way? So 
I actually, the first thing I did coming out of college was I moved to Syria um, to go work on Arabic and try to understand this part of the world that I had spent some time studying. I learned Arabic along the way. Um, So I spent the first chunk of my career mostly overseas, working largely in the nonprofit space, but doing a lot of entrepreneurial things. So like while I was in Syria, I helped start a school. I spent some time working at a startup social enterprise that was focused on using technology to disintermediate foreign aid. But along the way, I got interest in the role of business in the impact issues or area that I had been living, I had been working in. Um, And so I actually ended up going back to grad school. And that was actually my transition into like the more pure corporate Mm. world. So when I came out of grad school, I uh, joined uh, Deloitte, which became Monitor Deloitte, and um, uh, spent almost five years with the firm. So I was actually kind of a late entrant to the pure corporate world. Um, It was great. I learned so much. I actually got to create a really kind of different path within the firm because I had had that experience beforehand. I had spent all this time working overseas. I actually joined uh, Deloitte in their Dubai office. So by the time I was starting to launch Ideal, I worked in like 20 different countries and worked all over the place and whatnot. So when I started my first firm, um, Waystone, that was like my first foray, foray into really starting something from scratch that I was building on my own, having already spent some time like working as early founding part, early founding team member and some other stuff. And that work was a nice bridge into what has then been Idillo because I waste I was doing some similar stuff to what I was doing beforehand as a consultant at Deloitte. So yeah, that that I, all in all, really only like five, maybe six years in the corporate world purely, but it had like a I had a, a I guess 10 or so year career before jumping in and starting my first company. Isn't it so interesting just looking back like how you shared it's this like windy road of different paths that you took that led you to where you are today and just the learning experiences and lessons from each path that you are on to now bring you to where you are today. What are some of the learning lessons that you have had, you know, maybe from your corporate career and also launching your first business that you were able to learn from to then help as you then set out to create this next venture? Yeah, so many, and I'm still learning. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) I think, uh, you know, I found you have to have a lot of confidence to be an entrepreneur. So I will say I'm a generally confident person, but it is also a truly humbling experience in some respects and that you are constantly being pushed to learn different things every day, which is, you know, what I love, what I love about it. But with that respect, it's like, I feel like every day I'm like, oh, there's this, there's this new thing that, I've learned that I maybe should have been doing beforehand. One of the, I think the trickiest things for me or most important things for me to learn, particularly transitioning from consulting to entrepreneurship, um, was this is a journey and it takes time and you got to love and engage with the process. Coming out of consulting, it's very much this world where like everything's on this like three to four week time frame. Like you have mm-hmm. to get it done really fast. And if you don't get it done really fast, then like, what are we doing? And, you know, what, despite having actually some cr- period in my career early on where I was not in consulting, I was more on the building side. I had spent enough time in that world where I had to really readjust when I got back into uh, building things and recognizing like you may spend like, yes, you want to chunk stuff down. Yes. You want to nail down hypotheses and you want to push through them quickly. And you want to make sure you're just validating hypothesis after hypothesis that says, says you're on the right track. But like, sometimes you're going to spend months on building a part of a product or you're going to have to really sink into, it's going to take time to get that process right. So I will say that jumps out to me as something that like personally was a learning lesson. Another one that jumps out to me is, so I'm building, my current company is called Idillo. We are building a home improvement marketplace, um, which 
connecting the dots, the earlier story may may take a little, we can, we can come back to that, how I got there fully. But one of the things that really has drawn me to this marketplace is it's a really big market and it's an opportunity to really shape a market. Mm-hmm. And this is something that it's been like, I think particularly close to my heart and relevant for, for women entrepreneurs in that it took me a while to learn how to just tell the world that I want to build a really big company. <laughs> and that lesson of just the power of being able to come out into the world and say that and name that intention um, was really transformative for my business, uh, fundraising early on, Mm -hmm. uh, and even for me and the way I led that company. So there are many other things, but I guess like kind of the first things that jump out yeah, are, are those two pieces, embracing that journey, embracing the time. It's, it's like always messy, but learning to love that creative process. And then uh, really learn how to name where you're going and own it. That was certainly, those were areas that I had to grow on. Up next, why Jessica chose to launch her business in Birmingham and why you may want to as well. Was there a point, you know, was it when you were going through the fundraising process or a certain point in time starting the business when it just hit you? Like, I have to own this and share with investors in the world. Like, I am building this multi-billion dollar company and I am doing this. Like, did something hit you that made you realize like you had to own it? Or did you always know like inside of you that this is what you had to share? So I did an accelerator. I did Techstars. That was actually a really kind of helpful uh, transition point. I'm happy to talk about, if anybody ever wants to talk about accelerators, I think there's like great pros and cons. And it was a really great choice for me. So I um, actually, yes, the, the moment that that really became part of my like journey with Idilla was actually the managing director. It was like, kept trying to work on my pitch and like get it out and say like, okay, we're building this home improvement marketplace. And it would sort of fall flat and people would not understand why, because I had had this career building international economic systems. Um, Most of the work I was doing there was uh, really macro. I was working with governments and corporations, and this was true of Waystone, but also true of Deloitte, building like new market strategies and innovation strategies. That would be like, I'd drop into a country and literally be working with a a government executive. And we'd say, how do we create jobs where this doesn't exist? Um, Very global. It worked all over the place. And so when I started this company, Idillo, which has, when you when I start connecting the docs, starts having a lot of relevance, but maybe on the kind of initial glance doesn't make a lot of sense. It was, it was hard. There was this like disconnect between who is Jess? Why is she starting this company? And then like, what is the intention of this on the other side? And I kept kind of like, yeah, running up against that pitching. And it was really my managing director that like worked with, worked with me through that to say like, it feels like what you've told me and like through this is part of the reason why you're in this is because you see the opportunity to shape a market and that's exciting. And that ended up, yeah, that, that was that moment that I kind of realized, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I think I'm just going to start saying that because it's true, you know, along with all the other reasons why I am so excited about the space that I is in, right, which relate back to the content, the problem that we're solving, the customers that we're impacting, the way homes um, and home improvements at the center of our economy in a lot of different ways. There are a lot of different reasons that draw me to this company. But yeah, no, it was like, it was definitely that moment of, mm-hmm. of just working through that pitch and realizing it was, it was like, there's just like this disconnect that I felt something wasn't getting out to the world. And that yeah. was... Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's so... I, again, like I just like love thinking about like looking back at these points when you have these like aha moments or revelations at like that point in time yeah. and then how it just sets that path forward for for yeah. the rest of the the business. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's rewind a bit. Yeah. Where did the idea <laughs> for this company come from? Yeah. So I guess I've told a little bit of this story. Um, so my like my background prior to starting Idolo... Um, was really about 
new market development. So I had spent all this time uh, working internationally, thinking about how markets work. I am a human systems nerd. I love thinking about messy human systems problems, why people do certain things the way they do, how we get them to do things more efficiently, and how we get them to solve problems together. And if I look back even to like the earliest days of studying peace, peace building in college, I I think I'm ultimately a human optimist and, lo- and really believe that people from different backgrounds can come together and solve mm-hmm. problems. So there's the market piece. Um, other part of me is I come from a family of engineers and architects and like DIY projects have been in my DNA since I was very young. Parents may currently be you know, knocking down a wall to rebuild again. <laughs> Not literally, but you know, there's, there's, we always have projects going on. And Idillo came out of a moment when I had bought a house and we bought a fixer upper. And part of what gave us the confidence to do that was feeling very, fairly capable with homes. Um, and realized quickly, it's really hard to figure out what, if you want your home to be X, Y, Z, it's really hard to figure out who to do that with if you need help and also what products to use. Totally. And I kind of started exploring like, you know, how else are other people solving these problems? And I realized there was this trend where I have these peers who are, you know, in their early 30s, we're buying our first homes and we have some cash we can put into them. We have these big aspirations for what we want them to be. We want them to be resilient, sustainable, et cetera. And we do nothing because just the process of figuring out how to do that the right way is so hard. So dug into a little bit further, realized everybody hates the existing solutions. Uh, they're really frustrated with, you know, the incumbents that have been in the marketplace, um, you know, not name names, like Angie's List, Thumbtack, Home mm-hmm. Advisor, et cetera. And there's a reason for that and that those com- some of those companies um, all started like roughly different times, but started, A, in a much different economy a uh, decade or more ago before things like Zillow, Redfin, et cetera, existed. Um, but more importantly, they're actually built on a business model that I think we're actually seeing run the test of time. And that is making money on leads and ads. So mm-hmm. all of them have a different version of that, but it ultimately means that the, fundamentally the business makes money by brokering that first interaction, but then they don't actually have a stake in the game as to whether or not the work gets done. And that leads you to a marketplace that is promoting whoever's willing to pay the most for ads. And customers who therefore are getting served whoever's willing to pay the most for ads, not necessarily who's the best to do the job, which is frustrating from a customer perspective, often often also means that your information is getting sold to different places. Again, it depends on the company. And on the vendor side, it's very frustrating because you can be paying a lot of money and getting nothing from an actual work perspective. So there's a fundamental break in like how the market works today. That was interesting to me. So I was like, huh. And then peeled back another layer. It's a really big market. Um, we spent $650 billion a year on home improvement services alone. That doesn't even include DIY. And I realized a couple things kind of fell into place. Uh, big market opportunity to really shape an industry. That gets me excited. It connects with a lot of the work I had done, both personally as a hobbyist, but then also as my from my career perspective. And also, you know, finally, it was just like timing. I was ready to like jump mm-hmm. in and really take a swing at a really big market. Um, so that's what all came together. So Idillo, at the end of the day, is a home improvement marketplace. We're taking a run directly at those incumbents. Um but our business is built differently. So we uh, stand up metro area teams. Um, they become obsessed with whoever's the best uh, professionals in those markets. And we bring them onto our platform to talk about how we do that. Um, when a customer needs something, rather than giving them this long laundry list, we give them um, our top three recommendations based on their home goals and preferences. And we help you book the first step. So on the customer side, we're taking out that friction of 
guessing if you're working with somebody who's good because we vet everybody. The hassle of finding and navigating your way to a professional that will actually do the work that you want to do because like not all GCs are the same, not all plumbers are all the same, not all roofers are all the same. And then the hassle of just getting called back, right? A lot of the pain points we were hearing from customers is so yes. <laughs> call you back. And then on the vendor side, we are bringing them customers who want the work that they're doing and we have skin in the game. So we are only making money when they do, which is a really different approach mm-hmm. to the market than what's existed today. The fi- yeah, so we like that's a that's the final point. So we make money when work gets done. So that fundamentally means that we are as a business focused on um, the outcomes that both sides of our marketplace want, rather mm-hmm. than some intermediary step that actually isn't necessarily the outcome. So yeah, that's Idilla. Well, thank you for sharing that. And this business you were building and platform is so needed, which you obviously know because you're building it and have done all the market research. But as a new homeowner, yeah, all the pain points you shared are, are, are real. I've had them yeah. all. And I'm sure all of our listeners who own, own homes or even who are renting homes and need work done, you know, it's it's so needed. And I love how you're kind of flipping the the classic model and changing things. And now I'm excited for you to... Uh, to come to Florida, but I know right now you're focused. <laughs> right now, you're, right yeah. now you're focused yeah. on Birmingham is where you've launched, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So we came to Birmingham for TechStars. So I um, will contextualize all of this, and that I had never set foot in Alabama prior to September of last year. I'm originally from the Boston area and had lived in DC around the times I was living abroad. So I spent a lot of time living overseas. Um, I had gotten to know the managing director of the. Alabama Tech Stars um, while I was doing consulting work um, because we were both thinking about building innovation ecosystems in places where you know they may not already exist. Um, so we became friends and connected that way. I ended up being a mentor in the cohort prior to the one I joined, and it just gave me the opportunity to see they're running a really good program. The Birmingham Tech Stars has a energy and climate tech. Uh, focus, which is relevant to where how we envision Idillo playing in the market. So yeah, I started thinking about accelerators. I'm a solo founder. So launching a company coming out of a pandemic on your own is uh, tricky from a couple of different perspectives, but particularly from a momentum perspective. And so I realized that like to get Idol off the ground, an accelerator was a good idea. Reconnected with Nate and ended up choosing to apply to Techstars. And I actually originally looked at a couple different places, but Birmingham was a good fit. And so having not stepped foot and really spent much time at all in like the true Southeast, came to Birmingham the past September. Program was great. And I discovered a city that I, like Birmingham really kind of blew us away on a lot of different fronts, but it ended up being and emerging as a really great place to launch Idillo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good from a real estate market from, from that perspective for our business. But there also are a number of different factors. One, like the uh, startup ecosystem is at a really interesting spot. The city has had a couple significant exits, I want to say, in the past five to seven years that have been half a billion and above. And that has like generated this new interest and in energy in the, the startup ecosystem. Mm. Also spun off talent and advisors. So you have this actually like really high quality, energized system that's clearly on the upswing that I was really inspired by and also realized there is an opportunity for us to 
you know, A, there's resources that come with that um, and benefits directly from business from a, like a fundraising and just visibility standpoint. There's benefits to building a smaller market. But also there's a reality of that we're not just building a company, we're also helping build an economy, which Maybe. to me, as somebody who's yeah. had an anchor in building economies across my career, that's really exciting. Also, like, just awesome food scene, great outdoors. I think there's, like, more James Beard restaurants per capita there than, like, most, if, like, not any city in the country. It's really an incredible food scene, incredible quality of life, and it's more affordable. So, like, the reality is, like, we could hire a team at a fraction of the price. We've been doing stuff really leanly and efficiently. And the last thing I will say is building a marketplace, which is really about assembling a lot of different pieces together. Building a slightly smaller market has a lot of advantages. It just means that everything that you need is like one, two, or three steps away mm-hmm. versus five, six, or seven in a bigger city. You know, we are clearly have national aspirations. We want to be a household name and brand nationwide. But Birmingham has been a really great place to start building that. Somebody framed it as like a really great sandbox. It's more than that. Yeah. It's a great market unto itself, but it is a great place to get to experiment. Yeah, you can get all of your your learning lessons to then apply to to the next market based on everything you're learning there. Jess, thank you for sharing that background. That's super helpful. And excited. now I'm excited to learn even more about Birmingham. I've never been, but it sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have, yeah, again, from Boston, slowly rolling south, it seems. But yeah, the Southeast is a really cool place to be building a company right now. Again, it's got a different vibe than building on like the West Coast or in a Boston or a New York. But there's pros and cons to that. You know, when you go to a less dense market, it also means there's more opportunity for visibility. There's also just different types of founders. Most of the founders that have built there have had to bootstrap in certain mm-hmm. cases versus others. So you, there's just different types of lessons you get from there. And frankly, the economy we're in that I think is less living less a little bit on the sugar high of the past few decades, there's actually a lot of benefits and wisdoms that are going to come out of yeah. these markets that haven't necessarily had that to ride on. So yeah, yeah come on down. <laughs> Coming up, what you can learn from Jessica's fundraising journey. Jess, can you share more about the pros and cons of being part of an accelerator program, especially for entrepreneurs that are considering applying to one? Like, what was your experience like and and what should entrepreneurs know about being part of an accelerator? I was honestly skeptical at first, but I'm a huge fan. There are pros and cons for sure. But if you find the right program, it can be a really, really great choice. I think the most important thing, so I'd be looking at a couple of different things. First of all, it's about like stage. What do you need? Where are you trying to get? Accelerators do a really good job of adding momentum, giving you a platform and visibility. And that, you know, there's also resources that come with it. And then different accelerators will have different types of potential partnerships or like a corporate sponsor that can have value. So for example, the one I was in was sponsored by Alabama Power. And a lot of the companies that are in there were using that as a a platform to really learn how to sell to utilities. So pros are like, you just get dropped in into a community where you, some of that momentum is being created for you on the outside. Like, as as you know, building a company particularly on your own, but even with a co-founder, it's ambiguous all the time. And you have to really generate energy from scratch. And I, I got to a point where I realized that I could get to the next level if I had some help doing that. So putting myself into a community environment where there was that momentum was mm-hmm. great. You also just get this built-in community of, of mentors and advisors. So it really just shortens the time to getting access to the things that you need. The biggest thing I will say is the quality of the 
program often really depends on the leadership, right? Not all accelerators are alike. And the trade-offs are is they often are taking, if they're good, they're often taking something in return, right? Whether it is equity or, um, you know, you're committing to working with some part of their company and therefore becoming a customer, something like that. Also, there's that. You need to decide if that's the right trade for you. And then there are also, it takes time. So if you're at a point where you're like kind of rocking and rolling in your business and you have like the resources you need to go and you're not having an issue necessarily or or not needing kind of an extra boost to get to the connections you need may not be the right choice just from a time perspective because it is going to take a chunk of your time while you're there. It can be a very valuable exchange, but they're like that's probably the biggest drawback or, yeah. or downside. So you just need to be ready for that. But I had a really fantastic experience. Can't say enough good things about uh, the leadership for the program that I was in. And uh, yeah, I think it can be really, really powerful catalyst if you find the right one. Thank you so much for, for sharing mm-hmm. that. That's super, super helpful. Mm-hmm. Can you share more about your experience fundraising for your business? Yeah, man, I will not say I've cracked this 100%. I, um, you know, I can tell you a little bit about, I guess, my journey with Idillo in the sense that um, I tried when I moved it. So first company, Waystone, I did not raise any money for. I just dove into that. It's a little bit of a different company and it's a services com- professional services company. So it's a little bit more like I could just do it and then get mm-hmm. paid for it. Idillo is the first company where in order to hit profitability, like there was going to have to be capital invested up front. So one of the lessons I've learned, actually a thing that I would do differently if I did this again today, was I jumped into market with an idea and tried to raise money on that, Mm -hmm. which very viable path in different ways for different people. But I think I learned that I was new enough to the market. I was a solo founder and we were just idea stage. That made that, that difficult. So takeaway on the flip side is if I were to do this again, I think when you're fundraising, particularly at a really early stage, to me, there were like sort of three things that mattered. It's like your pre-product, pre-revenue. So it's just an idea is like one thing. There's so like, where are you in your product stage? There's the, are you a solo founder versus like a team? And then there is the like, how much time have you, like what's your background? How much time have you spent in the specific industry that you're in? So I was making a somewhat of an industry leap. I was a solo founder and, and I was pre-product. And frankly, that made that first round. We ended up Fortunately, pulling together a round around entry into Accelerator, I feel really proud of how leanly we've been operating, but we're definitely at the point where we need that next influx. And yeah, not pretending like I've cracked it, but I think what I'm learning is, A, it's like a full-time job. Um, you really got to know that you have to make that trade-off. You're gonna, your business is not going to progress at the same rate while you're doing that, particularly if you're a lean team. And you got to make sure you're set up such that's okay mm-hmm. and setting expectations. And fundraising too, it's just, a, it's like a numbers game. A lot of funds and angels and whatnot, you really got to line up on timing and a lot of different things have to work out. It's not always just about like whether you fit with their thesis. It's like, where are they on the fund cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, what's the economy doing? How are we, it's like very tricky market right now. So for me, like I think our strategy right now has been learning how to balance uh, business and also fundraising, casting a really wide net, building a tough, building a 
like some tough skin such that when you say no, it's not always personal. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. devastating. And it's okay if your competitors are also raising for other people. Like, you know, you you clearly want to win this, but there's, you know, we're in a big market where yeah. there's a lot of opportunities to win. So yeah, that's, I think the lessons I have learned along the way, yeah, really are about that. But I'll come back to you and hopefully in a few years, I feel a little bit more like I've, I've learned how to like kept- the the learning lessons you have already just shared are are super helpful. And there's a lot of founders in our entrepreneurship community that are either thinking of raising capital or about to start raising capital. We have a lot of founders in our community that have successfully raised a lot of capital and every stage is hard and things change, as you said, like as the market changes, right? The market to raise capital the past six months through now through this year, it's very different than it was several years ago. Had you been raising four years ago, you might have just shared your idea and gotten a check for $2 million, but that's not the case anymore. So, you know, so much of it too, you know, and I've learned over the years really is, you know, your network too, and people who know you who are going to make these like really great introductions to funds that they know that are the the right fund for you and where, where, um, where they are in the cycle and building these really great relationships and networks is, is key to any successful fundraise. You know, no one, no one can build a business alone and no one can raise capital alone. It's like, take, takes a community, it takes a village to do all of this together. <laughs> totally. And what I would say is like, I also think that there's an advantage to be building a company right now in the sense that we, I do think our economy is going through a, a broader shift. Like we are in a world where, it's unlikely money is going to be as free as it was over the past few decades. Uh, some fundamental structural things are shifting, which just means we're living in a world where uh, there's a greater expectation of getting to profitability sooner. And that makes some things harder, but it also instills a degree of discipline that I think we didn't have to have before. And I think the companies that are building and starting today, and I optimistically believe we're one of them, we're going to have to put our focus on that from day one and build that into our DNA from day one. And if we can do that successfully, the companies that come out on the other side are going to be the ones that build business models that can sustain themselves through thick and thin and ultimately, you know, can weather whatever the economy throws us and ultimately as we'll be stronger on the flip side, right? That I think is an advantage, despite the fact that in certain moments it feels a little bit maybe more painful, but <laughs> I, I really am optimistic about that foundation. And again, it's like one of the reasons why we're excited to be building in the Southeast and that I feel like we have a, access to a lot of mentors who have had to do that beforehand and they're helping us learn how to navigate that. And so we're dead set on figuring out how we get our first markets to profitability yeah. and lay that as the foundation for where we grow uh, versus just growth at all costs. Because at the end of the day, to run a business, like you have to run a profitable business. So businesses do not survive in the long run without being profitable. So, and look, you had a service-based business before. So, you know, you have to run a profitable business to be able to keep going. So I think it's yeah, definitely- and it's like, <laughs> And it's mentality. a balance, right? We're playing a game where we're going to build a big company that's going to mean that we're not profitable for a long time as a whole. But- Building the foundation and building that into your DNA, I think, gives you a foundation, like it basically gives you a foundation to stand on. So that's the marker we've set for ourselves, recognizing that there's still companies are funny, funny, funny entities when you start realizing like how our how our economy works and stuff like that. You, you know, it's okay to not be profitable for a certain period of time, but you need to have that ability to fall back on something yeah. at the end of the day should you get thrown a curveball, right? Yeah. And that's how we think about what we're building. For sure. What is the craziest thing that has happened to you since starting your business? Yeah. So, you know, in some ways, I feel like we've been fortunate with Idella that we're early enough that we've had a lot of like stressful, like roller coaster moments, but not necessarily the crazy, 
crazy. I, I guess my reflection on that is more of my crazy moments probably happened in my consultant world. And it was a lot of getting, finding myself in very far away places, doing unexpected things, <laughs> like uh, pitching to a prime minister of a country on like how to, and a group of economists on how to like figure out how their economy should recover from COVID or like uh, finding myself in the back seats of a van being driven by like the head of the DARPA of equivalent of an Eastern European country up some mountainside and not really being sure where I was going. <laughs> like there, there are moments like uh, where I would find myself in places where I was always surprised that I would be. Um, I think that part of the thing that's helped me as an entrepreneur has been a degree of adventurousness and willing to take those risks and sort of being optimistic that it's going to be okay on the other side. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I'll, uh, again, I know that those moments are coming for us in Idella. We've been, uh, to some extent, because we're working with like incremental dollars and trying to do things leanly, it's been a little bit more of like, you know, smaller steps at a time that haven't led to any major cliffs yet. I'd say, well, again, circle back. <laughs> no, it's super, super helpful. Jess, I would love to hear what was your like local marketing strategy, launch strategy, like what worked for you and maybe what didn't work? Yeah. So we, so I hired a team coming out of Techstars. Um, so if you think about a marketplace, right, you need both sides of the market to come together. And then there's a interface that happens in between, right? We are ultimately that like somehow you need to do the connecting and there are different ways to do all those things. So the choices that you have to make when you're starting a marketplace is where do you focus your time and energies? Usually there's one side that leads first. I will say, based on how what we've been learning about our market, is some people will tell you that you need to like really fully pull that one side first, then the other side comes later. Definitely might work. In ours, we found it's been a little bit more like side by side with the customers leading. We found that because we're working with businesses who often are doing a are, are doing pretty well they usually want to grow for some reason or another but they probably are doing okay and they're busy enough without us that without a pathway to a clear transaction value add it was hard to get and sustain their attention so mm. traditionally when you think about a market like ours businesses should be the harder side right they're the supplier of the services and customers are the users and I actually started our first kind of pass at this was focusing on businesses first. And we found it was just crumbly. And what was actually easier is once we had customers in the door hustling mm -hmm. to fill in the backside. Mm -hmm. So what I did coming out of Techstars was uh, hired a head of customer success and a head of uh, vendor success. And we have a software developer we're building in no code. And we have some very rudimentary, a very rudimentary product which is basically a web interface that allows you to submit a job. Um, and then we've used a CRM system on the backside to help mm -hmm. us manage that. So that's basically the technology we started with. And we worked through a network of architects, uh, engineers, contractors, and sorry, home, ins home inspectors and real estate agents who cared about what we were doing and helped us build our first network of vetted vendors. 
we stood up a few of those, but then basically went into market and said, customers, tell us what you need to get done and we will go make it happen. We used our Techstars demo day to get the first pulse of those. So we basically, as part of my pitch, I said, sign up, <laughs> tell, us what you, tell us one thing you need to get done in your home. But that brought us in our first like 10 to 15 customers. Mm-hmm. And that sort of started us going because that customer base allowed us to go to market on the vendor side and say, hey, we have these, here's who we are. We're doing this thing differently. And they would usually be like, oh, that's interesting. And then we could say, oh, and we actually have a real-time job. Can you come try working with us? Mm -hmm. And that helped bring vendors in the door. And that kind of helped slowly build us up because as more that helped us onboard vendors that then made it easier for us to serve better, more types of customers. So that's how we started. And that's continued to be our strategy. Lead with the customer side, build out the vendor side on the Mm -hmm. on the back side of that. We have totally we have so much we're going to do on the marketing side that we have not done yet. But one of the things that we've did early on and leaned into is, uh, frankly, direct marketing, which is not mm-hmm. sexy, but we it's been pretty effective for us. Uh, we know that we can go to a farmer's market and get three people yeah. to submit jobs. And frankly, from a cost conversion standpoint, it's it's reasonable. And it's helped us learn so much about our customers in the process. Mm-hmm. So, And it's also like not hard to do. You don't have to guess whether you're putting in the right SEO terms and bleed billions of dollars. Like it was just, it was a very predictable way to both learn about our customers, learn about our vendors and get people in the door. So we've done that. The other channels though that we're pursuing, real estate agents, we, along the way at those same farmers markets, we get a lot of inbound interest from real estate agents. And so we're starting to figure out how we work with and through them. Similarly, housing developers, oftentimes they have warranty teams that are turning people away because they can't, they're, they're the first place they come first to say, hey, I need to do X, Y, Z in my home. Can you help? Warranty team is like, don't really have an answer for that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's outside of warranty and they don't know where to send them. So yeah. we know that that's another opportunity as well. We also know that referral programs can be powerful. Us, We have product features that we're going to be building in over time. But we are kind of our three-pronged strategy for now is on the customer side, direct marketing, real estate agents, housing developers, and then social and referrals underneath that to support that. On the vendor side, we've been able to work a lot through referrals, but we also are pushing into networking groups and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, Birmingham happens to have a strong foundation of kind of business collaboration groups, like, uh, which is more just people, business networking groups. Yeah, yeah. So those have been a powerful channel for us as well. And we also know that there's potential partnership channels around, you know, different service providers to those vendors, whether it's a hardware store or a benefits SaaS platform and stuff like that that we're also looking into as well. So I love it. No, I love talking about local marketing strategies. And I have to tell you, we've had so many founders on our podcast that have talked about launching their business through farmer's markets. And it's that like viral word of mouth from launching in these farmer's markets and talking to the customers, getting these repeat customers, then being able to actually like scale through other farmer's markets as well and grow really big businesses. Um, And there's nothing more powerful than being able to like actually talk to your customers directly and have those have those conversations. The other thing as you were talking that I was thinking about for you as like what's actually helped me like trying to find because we moved down to Florida and we ended up buying this house during the pandemic and like I didn't know anyone down here so I was you know getting referrals through Facebook groups so I even feel like for you I don't know if you've done that yet but like posting in the local Facebook groups and getting recommendations from people because people share their opinions and you don't even actually have to post you can just search in there for who's been recommended and not recommended in there as well so yes yeah and that's exactly sorry and I I probably should like obviously mention that because yeah that's another that's another channel for us as well um 
One of the benefits of this market, uh, of this business, is there's an abundance of opportunity and things that, that need to be fixed. Um, so part of our goal right now is trying stuff, figuring out what's the most effective, mm-hmm. and then honing in on yep. those. Um, and you know that is going to be a big part of like what we're raising to go nail down. We we have like our foot in the door in a lot of different places. We know there's opportunity that yeah. we need to capture. It's really about capacity to get there, totally. right? And that is the, that's the art of company building. It's like yeah. doing just enough to prove that um, you know there is a there there, rallying people around you to give you the capital to then go and pursue it, and trying to keep that balance, right? Because it is like constantly a little bit of like a get yourself a little bit farther, give yourself the resources to get there until you can break free and ultimately yeah. get to a point where your business is self-sustaining. So um, yeah, that's a little, that's kind of how we're, how we're thinking about abundance of opportunity, but trying to not get distracted in the process, yeah. right? Stay focused. And it's okay to have a bit of divergence for a little while, but ultimately drive yeah. that back to like, what are the one to two to three like winning channels for, for, for our company? Totally. Well, congratulations on all you've already accomplished in such a short amount of time. I know I feel like in founder years, like one year, it feels like 10 years because you're doing so many things and in a single day. And I'm so excited. And like six months and like two months at the same time. Both very long and very short. Right. It's like every day. I don't mean, I know comparing it probably to when you were consulting, like one day being a founder, you know, literally doing 10 different things very well in a single day and having the ups and downs, high highs, low lows within 30 minutes of each other. And you just keep going and you keep building. And sometimes it's hard for other people to relate to understand like what we're going through as we're as we're building these businesses. But I know our, our founders and listeners who are hearing this right now get it because we're all going through it. Totally. And I feel really lucky um, that we have a great, very resilient team that has been, you know, really good at just adapting to whatever gets thrown at us. Um, like we're learning every day, you know, again, like we didn't, there are different strategies. I think we're ultimately pursuing the right one where you like get in the market and start doing something and you learn from it. But that just definitely means that every day you're like, oh, I didn't expect the customer to act that way. <laughs> or, hmm, that's an interesting way that for the vendor to respond to that. We have to figure out how to adapt to that next time. So it takes a lot of, it's also to, yeah, the right, having the right people in seat that are, can be creative, resilient, be optimistic in the face of that. Um, one of the biggest things that I think I've tried to bring to our company, but it's also been helpful framing for me just as a founder to keep your head in the game is, you know, every challenge like that is off. There's, there's usually option opportunity on the other side of friction, right? If, if uh, we often face challenges where maybe a vendor is having a hard time turning around a quote, um, you know, we, we've looked at that as like, okay, well, how can we make it easier for them to turn around the quote? They probably, it's probably not something that they want to be happening that way. Right. So ultimately looking at the set of challenges that you get thrown and saying, okay, there's a lot of, you know, that's indicators that there's opportunity for us. Again, can't solve everything. Don't want to solve everything. Starting companies like this, you have to start very, 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 very small. And that's even something I feel like I've been learning more of over time, but keeping your mindset and like a really good set of uh, like really good parking lot list of all the things that we believe we can come back to later um, that we're learning through that friction that is ultimately going to be so valuable for us later on. We start thinking about how do we build a deeper, stickier, marketplace that really drives value for both sides. 
That is a really good tip that I want to make sure we highlight right now about having that parking lot document. Courtney and I did that a few years ago. Like anytime we're talking about things and texting and have these ideas, we're like, yes, write it down so we don't forget it, but put it in the parking lot because we got to stay focused on this one thing that we're doing right now. So good tip for founders because we're all ideators. We're always all coming up with all these ideas and finding, wanting to to solve everything. And unfortunately, we all can't do every single thing at once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, ours, we, we probably have like three. We try to consolidate it because <laughs> it's like we have one in a sauna, one in a, one in a word doc. And every so often we go back and stick them together. But yeah, definitely, definitely keep that parking lot. Cause I think it gives you a way to not lose sight of them, but also remind yourselves like, and again, this is somebody who likes big, messy human systems. I'm, I'm often drawn to complexity, but I think that the wisdom, one, another thing that I really learned and had to kind of get beaten into myself over time is you can start really, really tiny and, and that's okay. That tiny and simplicity is your superpower and is going to be what helps you cut through, get people to pay attention um, by just doing that one thing really well. And that one thing may have like lots of things that require going on in the background to make that one thing happen. Um, but, you know, we are intentionally doing something in our marketplace that's simple and looks like something that exists today, but is nuanced different, nuancedly different in a way that drives a 10x better experience from the customer side, but is also approachable and easy to explain. And that has also, again, been helpful for us to communicate to our customers what we're doing, communicate to investors what we're doing, and help people resonate with the scale. Um, but that was a journey. And it like it's easy to, I think, believe something needs to be really complex to be different and valuable. But in reality, I think we've actually found that the simpler and the shorter letter that we've written, we've written has actually been uh, more powerful for us to cut through cut through complexity and whatnot, if that makes sense. Well, I am so excited to continue to follow everything that you're doing and building and can't wait for you to be part of our Entrepreneurista community as well. Jess, last question for you, because I know we could sit and chat all day about all of these amazing things. But my last question for you is, what does being an Entrepreneurista mean to you? Such a great question. It is about being able to shape the world around you and make that your craft. I, th- I think being an entrepreneur and entrepreneurista is as much like what you do every day, but it's also about how you choose to approach the world and, and life. And yeah, I think living in a way where you really look at the world around you and say, I want to take that and shape it to be what I want it to be. I think that carries over into the way I at least have learned to live my life beyond just my company. Um, so yeah, it also means also the like creating lots of opportunity for other people too. Um, I think I love that part of it as well. It's, it's about, yeah, reshaping the world, solving problems and opening doors for other folks, but ultimately getting to be that creator and shaper. I love that. No, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that and sharing your, your entire journey. Where can everyone find you and follow you? And we will link out to everything in the show notes below. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you can find Idillo at www.idyllo.com. We are only in Birmingham right now. So if you are in Birmingham, come come try us out. Uh, we are open for business and we're excited to, you know, whether you are a homeowner or a vendor on the vendor side, we are building this great collection of customers who really, you know, we're, we're dead set on making you successful and working, bringing you that business that's going to those customers that are going to trust you from day one and really want the work that you're doing. On the customer side, we're here to help you get work done with people you trust. So check us out there. 
I am on LinkedIn. I can't say I have never been somebody who's been super vocal on social. I should probably work on that as a founder, but uh, definitely on LinkedIn. We have an Instagram account at Idillo Homes and mine's there too, but not very active. So <laughs> uh, but yeah, go find us, go find us on LinkedIn, go find Idillo on Instagram. And then if you're on Bur- in Birmingham, look for us um, at idillo.com. Amazing. And yes, you can go tap the show notes right now. So all of Jess's links and Idilla's links are right in the show notes. So you could easily find Jess. Jess, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.